Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn with me to John's Gospel and chapter 1. And I'd like to just direct your attention this morning to the first part of verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14, where we read, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And you'll recall, for those who've been here over the past few weeks, that we began a series entitled The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And the aim of the series is to look at the Saviour from various angles and avenues and to try, attempt to try and plumb some of the depths of who Christ is and what Christ came to do and what, of, what of course, he is still doing for sinners even today. And the last time we were in this series, we were thinking about the deity of Christ, the great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is fully divine. He is very God of very God, the eternal second person of the Trinity. And we looked at the opening verse of this chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the Apostle John in this passage, not only does he lay down this great doctrine of the the deity of Jesus Christ, but he's also keen to reveal very plainly something of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ was not only fully God, but he was also fully man. And that's our subject that I want us to consider this morning. And I want to spend some time thinking about from here, from verse 14, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you remember that I said last time that the the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ uh, has been attacked down through the centuries, constantly under attack. And it's worth just saying at the the start here that it's true also of the doctrine of the humanity of Jesus Christ. In actual fact, the attacks on the doctrine uh, of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ began right in the beginnings of the early church. And they began to surface even in the days of the Apostle John. And uh, that's why in his letters he stresses this truth over and over again. The Lord Jesus Christ was fully man. And he begins his first letter, if you just turn with me to 1 John uh, chapter 1. He begins uh, emphasizing this point right from the very start. Very similar beginning to what we have at the beginning of his gospel. 1 John 1 and verse 1. He says... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us and he's stressing this point that we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ we know who he is and if you go on in the epistle just go over a few pages into chapter 4 he stresses that this truth about the humanity of Jesus Christ is essential it's a fundamental to the faith 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2 he says this hereby know ye the spirit of God every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. 
And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And so John states emphatically here that this doctrine is not something that we can take or leave or decide that we're going to sit on the fence about. Rather, it's one of the great dogmas of the Christian faith. And as God's people, we must hold on to this truth with that unquestionable certainty and we must seek at all costs to defend it. And so we come to this doctrine this morning, the humanity of Jesus Christ. And if you just turn back with me to John chapter 1 to our text this morning in verse 14. I want to open these words up with you this morning and consider this subject then. And I want us to notice a number of things from these opening words of verse 14. And the first thing that I want you to notice here in verse 14 is the manifestation of Christ. The manifestation of Christ. John writes, and the word was made flesh. It's worth just reminding ourselves that when John uses this phrase, the word, he is using a title for the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 17, uh, he actually Uh, makes it abundantly clear, as we were saying last time, that this person who he's been referring to from the beginning, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and so on. That this Word, as he says in verse 17, it's Jesus Christ. He spells it out clearly for us. That's who he's referring to. And as the Word, it's he who reveals, we were saying, weren't we, the Father to us. It's Christ who declares him in verse 18, just as Words help us to reveal our thoughts. So Christ, as the Word, reveals and declares God the Father to us. But here in verse 14, the Apostle is drawing our attention to that great moment in human history when the Lord Jesus Christ, when the eternal Word became man. The Word, he says, was made flesh. When he who is God eternal, the Son of God, when he came into this world and was born of a woman. And John uses this word flesh here, uh, and he's referring to our human nature. He's referring to our bodies, as it were. And so he uses this word to reflect our nature. And so he says, look, the second person of the Trinity really became a man. The Lord Jesus Christ really came as a human being. Now, some people like to refer to that moment in human history as the incarnation. Uh, I don't have a, a problem with the term incarnation, but a more scriptural term would be manifestation. You know what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, he declares that uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And so this moment was the manifestation of our Saviour. John is is crystal clear. Jesus Christ really became a man like ourselves, like you and me this morning. Now, last time when we were considering the deity of Christ, we made this point that whatever could be said of God could be said of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we made a number of comparisons. If God is omnipotent, then Jesus Christ is omnipotent. If God is omnipresent, then Jesus Christ is omnipresent, and so on. And you could take any of the divine attributes, whatever the attribute might be, and you may apply it to Jesus Christ. 
And we could say this morning the same about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Whatever we may say about human nature and human beings, we may say the same about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just have a similar nature to ourselves, but he had an identical nature to ourselves. He really became a man in all things except for sin. There's one exception. He had an identical nature except for sin. In Romans 8, Paul spells it out very clearly in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. He uses a very clever bit of language to remind us that God sent forth his Son in the likeness, he says, of sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't come in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so we always have to remember this. Christ was holy, he was harmless, he was undefiled and separate from sinners. And so he came as a real man, a true man, but he was without sin. And so we may say in every sense, Christ's human nature was identical with ours. And so we can say a number of things as we think about this this morning. I think the first thing that we can say is that as human beings, we have a body, and so did Jesus Christ. We're flesh and blood, aren't we? We have bodily parts, we have eyes and we have ears, we have hands, we have feet. And that was also true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a body. You remember Hebrews 10 verse 5, a body thou hast prepared for me, the prophet says. Just as we are flesh and blood, so Christ took the same upon himself. He had eyes that that looked at those at need. You remember he had ears who heard the cries of those who wanted mercy. He had hands that touched lepers. He had feet that took him to towns and villages that he might do goods. Jesus Christ had a real body. But we could also say, secondly, not only did the Lord Jesus Christ have a real body, but we could say that as human beings we have a soul and so did Jesus Christ. We are body and soul. We're flesh and spirits. And the same, we can say confidently, was true of Jesus Christ. You see, the Godhead of Jesus Christ was not a substitute for his having a soul. This is a, you know, an important point. Christ was truly man, so he had a body and a soul. You remember his words as he was in agony in Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was body and soul. But we may add a third thing here, because not only uh, was the Lord Jesus Christ body and soul, but just as we are subject to human afflictions and limitations and, and emotions, so was Jesus Christ. You know, when we, we're all born of a, of a woman, aren't we? And so was Jesus Christ. And when we are born, we enter this world and we do so as little babies. We're not fully grown adults. And we have to be nourished by our mother's milk. We have to grow. We have to learn. We have to take time to develop. We go through the various stages of childhood up to adulthood. There's development and growth. And the same is true of Jesus Christ. Just turn with me to Luke's Gospel for a moment. Luke chapter 2. Luke is the only Gospel writer who records from Christ's birth to his adulthood is the only one who makes mention of some of the things that happened in Christ's life up to that point. Most of the gospel writers either jump in, Mark jumps straight in at his ministry, Matthew 
We start with his birth and then we jump to his ministry. Luke is the only gospel writer who gives us little tidbits of information about the development and the growth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then you, you can read on in that chapter, we have that very interesting account of Christ as a 12-year-old boy. You find him in the temple, and there he is. He's hearing the doctors. He's, he's trying to learn, and he's asking them questions. He, he's just like any other 12-year-old boy. He's inquisitive. And he's learning. And then you come to verse 52 of that chapter, Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And of course you could, there's other references. You think of Hebrews 5 and verse 8. We see this development again. Hebrews 5 and verse 8 tells us that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. There's that development, that growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say true that of Christ, can't we, that in his human nature he also met with limitations. There were certain things that in his humanity he did not know. For example, you remember how in Mark's Gospel he tells the disciples that he did not know the precise time when he would come again into this world. He says, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. And Christ was speaking there as a man. He didn't know. And the Lord knew all sorts of other limitations, didn't he? Christ knew what it was to be hungry, Matthew 4 and verse 2. He knew what it was to be in need of a drink. He cried, I thirst, as he was hanging upon the cross. Christ knew our nature because he was made flesh. He knew what it was to be sorrowful. And to weep, you remember him standing at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. He knew what it was to be glad and to rejoice. You remember he was just like ourselves in that he was wearied and he grew tired and he slept. You remember how he slept on that boat in the middle of a storm. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew pain. We read that he marveled. He was also moved to anger. There were times when he was moved to compassion. You see, he knew all of these aspects of human nature. He knew too what it was to be tempted. And he knew what it was to pray. I always find that you know, particularly encouraging as a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed as a man. In his human nature, he needed to pray to, to his Father in heaven. You remember the hymn that we sometimes sing, that one, Who is he in yonder stall, at whose feet the shepherds fall? And, and there's various verses that reflect upon the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, his earthly life. It says, Who is he in deep distress, fasting in the wilderness? Another verse says, Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? What about this one, low at midnight, who is he? Praise in dark Gethsemane. It's reflecting upon all these aspects of the human life of Jesus Christ. And what's the answer? What's the chorus? Tis the Lord. A wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. You see, there is God in flesh. But he has to pray. He, he's in distress. He experiences all the things that we experience. And friends, this morning, do we see how wonderfully comforting this truth is? 
If Jesus Christ has assumed our nature, if he really was made flesh, then he's able to take pity and have compassion upon us. You see, he knows all our struggles. He knows all our various burdens. He's been there. He's done it. The writer to the Hebrews stresses this point in Hebrews chapter 2. Makes this point that the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows, he feels, he understands what it is to be a human being. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Why? Well, it says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ, he was made like us, and so now he's able to succor us and help us. When we go through times of temptation... You know, in the same book, the writer says this in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's a wonderful verse. Our Saviour, our great high priest, he's seated in heaven right now. He's there in the same body that he had here upon earth. And his heart still beats and it beats for his people. And it beats with feeling and it beats with sympathy and affection for for those who are his. He's sensitive to our wants and our burdens and our infirmities. And so the writer says to us, look, if there's such a high priest in heaven, what should your response be? Well, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you see, therefore, the doctrine of the humanity of Jesus Christ is a wonderful encouragement to pray. Our God in heaven, Jesus Christ, there's a real man seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says, look, I know what you feel. I know your burdens. So come and bring them to the throne of heavenly grace. I will heed and listen to you. He says, come boldly so that you may obtain mercy. And grace to help in time of need. What a wonderful encouragement this is to pray. The Lord Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh. We've seen then this manifestation of Christ. But I want you to notice secondly with me. The continuation of the words. The continuation of the word. Look back with verse 14 of John chapter 1. John writes, and the word was made flesh. And that's. This expression here that he uses, was made, it's a very interesting expression. The sense of that phrase is that he took our flesh. He assumed flesh. Some Bibles translated as he became flesh. But the point is this, that when the word was made flesh, the word did not cease to be the words. Let me just say that again. When the word was made flesh... The word did not cease to be the words. You see, the word was not replaced by the flesh. The word did not change and mutate into the flesh. The eternal word remains the eternal words. In other words, God's son never ceased to be God's. He assumed a human nature without laying aside his divine nature. So when Jesus Christ came into this world, he was both fully God's and fully man at the same time. Remember how 
Charles Wesley puts it in his hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In that hymn he says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Then he says this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The word continued as the word. Here we see incarnate deity, the Godhead veiled in flesh. Augustine, the early church father, said this, he did not change what he was, but he assumed what he was not. And friends, we have to say, as we said last week when we were thinking about the deity of Christ, there's a great mystery here, how the Lord Jesus Christ had these two natures and yet united in the one person is something that is incomprehensible. Someone once described it to me as a bit like standing on a railway track. You've got the two tracks and uh, there you are, but as you watch the tracks go off into the distance, at at a point in the distance they merge. You can't explain how the Lord Jesus Christ can be both fully God and fully man. And our finite minds can't truly grasp this. And that's why, you know, Paul tells us, great is the mystery. God manifest in the flesh. There's a mystery to it. But yet, you see, while this truth cannot be explained, this truth is vital. And it's vital because it means that Jesus Christ, as God and as man, is the only suitable mediator. Remember what Paul writes to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, what we desperately needed as fallen, sinful human beings was someone to come and stand between us and God's. We needed a daysman, as as Job puts it. We needed a mediator. We need someone to lay their hands on the two of us. There's a holy God, and we were sinners in rebellion against God's. And we needed a mediator, someone who was both God and man. That's what we needed. And Christ came, and he was made flesh, and he was born of a woman, and he was both God and he was both man, so that he might be that mediator. You see, only Christ could say, I am the way. Only Christ could say, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he could say that because he was both God and man at the same time. Friends, we have to say this morning, this is the wisdom of God. The triune God in eternity past found a way. Adam had failed. Adam had sinned. A second man was needed. A second Adam was required. And the father said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to send an angel. That wouldn't be good enough. An angel isn't God and isn't man. This isn't good enough. So I'm going to send my son. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. The one who came as both God and man so that he might redeem his people and make reconciliation. What a plan we could say. What wisdom. What wisdom that the words was made flesh. We've seen then these two things this morning. The manifestation of Christ, the continuation of the Son. But I want you to notice lastly with me a third thing here, and that's the humiliation of the Son. The humiliation of the Son. Just look again at our text this morning. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's interesting, isn't it, when you read that verse, that John doesn't say, and the word was made man. 
Man, of course, was the apex, the, the very pinnacle of God's creation. But instead, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle chooses this word flesh. And I think the reason that John chooses this word flesh is to highlight the amazing condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The amazing humiliation of the Son. After all, we were thinking only a few weeks ago that he is the eternal Son of God, that he was with God. Do you remember how we thought about that expression, literally face to face with God in a, in a union and a relationship with God from all eternity? There was this perfect love between the Father and the Son, and between the Son and the Father, and between the Son and the Spirit, and between all three persons of the Godheads. This is the one, of course, who made all things in verse 3. And in him who was life, and the life was the light of men. This is the one who then comes in flesh. Remember how the angels worshipped him. The cherubim sung Christ's praises from all eternity. The seraphim veiled their faces and poured out constant worship. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And yet he was made flesh. And if this is not Christ condescending far enough, John adds, and dwelt among us. You see, Christ was not made flesh and then dwelled in heaven. But he was in this world. He dwelt with us. Just dwell for a moment on, on that word us. Just think about it. Sinners who we're told in this chapter knew him not in verse 10. He came unto his own in verse 11, and his own received him not. He came and dwelt with us. The Greek there has that sense of dwelling there. It means to literally pitch one's tent. Christ pitched his tent here on earth amongst sinful human beings. He tabernacled amongst us. We pause here this morning, don't we? We have to marvel. We have to just say how astonishing this truth is that God the Son would stoop so low. We read those words in Philippians chapter 2 how the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and how they speak of his remarkable condescension and his humiliation that he was in the form of God and yet he thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and he took upon him the form of a servant. And we read he was made in the likeness of men and being in, found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And Christ endured this humiliation and he stooped so low and it was all out of love for his people. Why did Christ do it? Why did Christ stoop so low? Well, the point of Christ stooping was so low is so that he might exalt us. A moment ago when I was listing some of the various proofs of Christ's humanity, you may have noticed there was one proof that I left out, one proof that Jesus Christ was truly human. It's one final and conclusive proof. And that is, you have to go, as it were, to Calvary. The final proof you see at the cross. You see, when you get to Golgotha, you, you see a man. Because the final proof is this, that Christ humbled himself, we read in Philippians 2, and he became obedient unto death. Only a man could die. God couldn't die. God's eternal. But Christ, who was made flesh, he laid down his life. And, and, and friends, this should stagger us this morning. You know, we have a God this morning who not only became flesh, but he's a God who faced death. 
But you see, because he was God, and because his sacrificial death was accepted, it's his death that grants us life. You see, his humiliation, his condescension, his coming into this world and going down and down and down and becoming obedient to death is what guarantees our exaltation. It's because the word was made flesh, because Christ took our humanity, that we now have this glorious hope, don't we, that one day we shall be exalted and we shall be with him for all eternity. Remember what we read, he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. And of course the proof was, wasn't it, on that day, that third day, that first day of the week, the Lord Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave, and he now lives in the power of an endless life. And so as those of us who are in union with Jesus Christ, we have this same surety and certain hope that one day we shall also rise. My time is has gone this morning but I want you to I trust that you see how comforting this truth is of the humanity of Jesus Christ how wonderful this truth is that Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us and I pray this morning that all of us would we would ever marvel at how wonderful this this condescension of Christ was that he was made flesh and he dwelt among us so that he might exalt us and lift us as sons of God to be with him And so that we too may live with him for all eternity. We praise God for this man, Christ Jesus. Our great Emmanuel, as we were reading in the Old Testament. God with us. The one who was made flesh and dwelt among us.